Well, I thought we might uh, pick up with Ephesians again and continue teaching there on the uh, exegetical line upon line workings through the book of Ephesians. It is Paul's most mature epistle, or I should say an epistle for the most mature church, but I don't think it's going to fit this morning, uh, which is all right. We are pretty flexible in that regard. We want to make sure we stay with the Holy Ghost everywhere we go and in everything we say and minister. And so uh, what we're going to talk about this morning is the Greek word pornos. And we're going to talk about pornos because we're living in a very pornographic culture. Um, if you didn't know, America, where's Mr. Gary at? Is he in here? You taught that men's Bible study a couple years ago. Did you say pornography was one of our number one exports? Our number two, America's number two export was pornography. Above oil, above technology, above Ford, Chevy, Dodge, education, medicine. Our number two export as a nation. You remember, remember the Christian nation, America? Our number two export was pornography. And did you say, I remember the statistics, it was something like 400 porn movies a week are produced in Hollywood. Now, if you don't know, they don't have big production budgets and they don't have a lot of post-production, but they're turning out 400 porn movies a week in Hollywood. And of course, now with our technology, you guys could stream it right here in this service while I preach. And I went to some anti-pornography training a couple, about two years ago at my friend, Pastor Steve Taboo's church at the river. There's a website that's worth going to if you have a porn issue called Fight the New Drug. I've actually sent it to some of you who are involved in the community. And it's a non-religious organization. It's a non-for-profit, but it is all, it's a bunch of tools to help you get off of pornography. Uh, they call it Fight the New Drug because pornography is the new drug. It has the same effect on your brain as cocaine, heroin, crack, methamphetamines. It shrinks the pleasure center. So when you, they, they said the new neuroscience is counterintuitive. When you think stimulating that um, stimulation or that, that reward center in your brain, if you think stimulating it would call it to swell, neuroscience has proven that pornography actually shrinks it. They, have, they, they do the brain scans now. We have the technology. So people who watch porn, you actually are shrinking and deactivating that part of your brain, which is why it requires more and more porn. The other thing I, I learned at that porn training is uh, they ask, you know, how many of you have looked at porn? And like everybody raised their hand. Yeah, I've looked at porn. I was in high school once. And parents were nowhere to be found in that season. They were working. Uh, they said, this is not the porn you guys are used to. This isn't naked ladies. This is rape. This is bestiality. This is incest. incest. This is gay porn. This is threesomes, foursomes. And uh, this, they said, um, this was, I think I went to this training before COVID, so it was 2019. They said 2017, 2018, of the top 10 highest grossing porn movies, uh, eight of them had rape scenes in it. That's the porn we're dealing with now. Well, we get the word porn or pornography from this Greek word pornos. When that's your culture, and other than Christians and righteous folks, nobody wants to discuss it because it's kind of the unknown addiction. Everybody's looking at it, you know. You, you can't scroll through anything on the news without finding something about it, even promoting it. It's just acceptable now. Um, when that's your issue, that is a spirit that's in the earth that we're going to have to resist uh, and lean against. 
We're just a very centralized culture. Now, oddly enough, when you're in the third world and you're just living to find the next meal, you don't care much about sex. Only prospered nations who have more time on their hands than they can shake a stick at, only prosperous nations who have time to protest and march over the dumbest things have time to look at porn and come up stuff with like bestiality porn or uh, incest porn or just rape porn. I mean, that's a sick, twisted individual. So I, I, I don't want to harp too much on this. You just need to understand one of the three quickest ways to get demons in your life is drugs, witchcraft, and pornography. And witchcraft involves drugs and pornography. And you can't get into pornography without eventually fooling with drugs somehow. It's amazing how these three work together. You can get demons other ways, but those are the three quickest ways. So one of the things I want to do for some of your hearts this morning is make you hate pornography so much that you just despise it and disgusted at it that even the garment spotted by the flesh disgusts you. You can train your soul to hate wickedness, and you need to. Amen. And you should. There's coming a time where we're going to have to talk to our children, probably younger and younger, about this because it's, it's just everywhere. It's another reason not to have a smart device. Nobody in here needs a smart device. Nobody in here has to have one. Uh, and if you do, maybe your boss requires it. Give it to one of our tech guys and let them lock it down so much you can't even hardly look at the weather channel because it says the word hot. <laughs> Amen. Don't be stupid. Don't tempt yourself. Recognize where your weakness is. If you want to finish your race, Racers know that they start cutting things out of their life so they can finish their race, how much us in the spirit battle that we're in. Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. I'm going to address sexual sin this morning. I, I went to bed last night. I was studying Ephesians, just kind of brushing up on Ephesians 3, seeing where we wanted to go. But the more I looked at it, the more I, I believe the Spirit of God was dealing with me just to refresh our memory on Bible doctrine concerning sexual sin. Because we seem to be out of touch with this, maybe not you and I, hopefully not the good churches in our community, uh, but our culture, it's a freak show. It's a race to the bottom. And whatever, whatever foundation falls today, they're already planning the attack on the next foundation tomorrow. And I've talked about this several times that uh, seven or eight years ago, as we were approaching the Oberfeld decision where the Supreme Court was going to review gay marriage as a human right, civil right, etc., all the stories you could watch on the liberal news sites and on social media was all about gays, gays, gays. They should have a right to be married. They're human beings, too. We just want our right to be married. We just want, we, they weren't satisfied or content with civil unions. They wanted to be able to call it marriage. Why do they want to call it marriage? Well, maybe not them because they're not acute enough to understand the demon realm. But if you call it a civil union, it's nothing like marriage. And marriage is reserved for straight people, hetero people born the sex they live as, to honor God according to the Bible. No book is under greater assault than the Bible. And I thought, you know, if it's been debunked so many times, why attack it? Just ignore it. It'll go away. But they can't do that. they got to keep attacking them. So they didn't want to just call it civil unions. They wanted to call it marriage. So the Supreme Court, those nine cloaked morons, decided, uh, Roberts cited against us. You know, he's supposed to be the great George W. Bush conservative pick. He cited against us. I often wondered what dirt did they have on him. He cited against us, and so Oberfeld became law. And now even our most conservative judges say, well, gay marriage is the law of the land now. In that season, all your news stories and your social media feeds were gay marriage, gay marriage, gay marriage, gay marriage, because we were pushing the agenda to convert people's hearts and minds 
through the form of propaganda to be on that side. And if you were against it, you were called a homophobe. Well, phobia is a Greek word, phobos. That's actually one of the moons out in our solar system. Phobos means you have a fear. I think most folks aren't afraid of homosexuality. We're just grossed out by it. Amen. Um, plus, we just fear God more than we do Hillary Clinton. Now, Bill may fear Hillary more than God, but he's had to be married to her for a long, 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 long time. <laughs> We're not afraid. These are people we love. We're called to win them to Christ, but it's not a phobia. It's a morality. It's a, um, it's a moral high ground that we take. We don't hate anybody. We hate sin. So after gay marriage fell, the next thing that started popping up on all the feeds was transgenderism, transgenderism. And that pretty quickly got accepted, especially with Caitlyn Jenner, who is now a Fox News contributor, because you know Fox News is so conservative, they want to have the first transgender show. Once transgenderism became pretty mainstream, now it's trans kids. And I like the statement somebody said, transgender children are like uh, vegan cats. We all know who's calling those shots. The weird woman. The weird mom, the weird cat owner. There's no such thing as a vegan cat. And there's no such thing as a trans child. Amen. So I've been watching the body of Christ buckle on this. And really with these political movements, uh, to quote Vergelin, who was a German philosopher, these are Gnostic movements. This is all Gnosticism. This is salvation through knowledge apart from God. We have knowledge now. We don't need God. We have engineering. We have medical science. We have technology. We don't need God. We can escape God through our knowledge, and we can escape reality and biology now because we can cut things with surgery and build things through surgery and, and dope things through hormone treatment. You can tell what spirit people are of and what spirit they're yielding to by where they stand on these issues. When you are blood-bought, born again, seated in heavenly places, and you stay in your Bible, and you stay in prayer, and you obey your Bible, and you obey the Word of God, you're not going to go anywhere near these doctrines because to normal, that word's becoming even more phobic now. You can't call things normal anymore because it makes people feel uncomfortable. What about the transgender guy hurt hitting on my kid in the Target bathroom? Am I not allowed to feel uncomfortable about that? When you stay in the scriptures, you don't get confused on this stuff because you know your father's voice, you know the voice of your shepherd, and you just happen to be narrow-minded enough to stick with the scriptures that, by the way, built all civilization. All right. So the latest thing was uh, somebody I respected. I've heard this argument before, and, and maybe this is where we'll start this morning. I heard... Uh, I've heard the argument several times, but I heard it again recently. Somebody I respected say, well, you know, Jesus never addressed homosexuality in the scriptures or Jesus never addressed transgenderism in the scriptures. So where Jesus is quiet, we should just leave it alone. To which the, that's a straw man's argument. It's very easy to say, well, Jesus never discussed the drug trade. He never discussed child prostitution. Jesus never discussed uh, bodily dismemberment as a way of torture. He never discussed waterboarding. So are these things okay? 
It's, it's really a lame argument. And since when do they start quoting Jesus? Anyway, so I want to show you something. You're in Matthew chapter 15. I want to show you where Jesus did in fact address transgenderism, homosexuality, incest, bestiality, rape, and the like, adultery, etc. Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. Those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. So that's King James. Verse 19 says, For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, and that's where everything always begins, is with thoughts of the heart. That is why we hold a strong doctrine as Christians to renew our mind and cast down thoughts. That's why I've spent 14 years teaching our church that your heart is totally your stewardship and you can cast down things in your heart and change what's in your heart and reject things in your heart so that we are totally without excuse. If I can control my thoughts, I can control my heart. Propagandists understand this. If they can control your thoughts, they can control your heart. We, this, this train is on, this nation is on the bullet train of crazy. And so now, uh, even Hollywood, they're just a bunch of insecure druggies who just want to be accepted by the cool kid. You know, trans is cool right now. Gay is cool right now. And if you want to be cool, you need to tight roll your jeans like they do. If you want to be cool, you need to hang a feather in your hair like they do. If you want to be cool, you need a septum stud like they do. If you want to be cool, you need a whatever the trendy tattoo is like. I mean, if you want to be cool and accepted, because Hollywood's full of insecure, weird people. They're insecure, and they want to be accepted. Trans is acceptable right now. It's cool. We stick with the Bible because we're not immature sixth graders. Remember when we were all in middle school and we just wanted to be accepted, and so it's herd mentality, and everybody just follows what the cool kids are doing. It's called youthful lust. If we can control our thoughts, we can control our heart. And if your heart's not right with God, change your thoughts and you'll change your heart. It's that simple. You can control who and what you like. You can control who and what you hate. You can control who and what you live for. You can control any of this. None of us can say like the gay agenda does. You just, I just can't control who I'm in love with. Yes, you can. That is carnality when you say, well, I just, I can't help it, mommy. I can't help it, daddy. I can't help it, wife. I just don't love you anymore. Yes, you can control it. The problem is you haven't been for a long time now, and this thing is so deeply rooted, you're sunk. This is why we treat or teach the renewing of the mind, and we treat your heart like a stewardship. It's why we preach to you so we can wash your mind and so you can keep your heart in line with the Bible. What we do is nothing different than what propagandists do. We teach doctrine, therefore it's called indoctrination. They have their own doctrine, it is therefore called indoctrination. Schools should be educating, but they don't. They also indoctrinate because it's not about reading, writing, and arithmetic. It's about CRT, trans rights, and just because you have a willy today doesn't mean you have to in middle school. That's indoctrination. 
It's not history. It's not biology. It's not uh, geography. It's, it's, it's just corruption. Another reason why public schools should probably go out of business. Anyway, I mean, just as a side note, if public school has your kids 45 hours a week, they're not, you're not parenting them. Public school is. And if your kids are with their carnal friends, because I guarantee you kids don't run with spiritual kids at school, then they're being parented by carnal teenagers. And if the blind lead the blind, your life's going to fall into the ditch. Anyway. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. So evil thoughts bring birth to murders, adulteries. Adultery is when you break the marriage covenant. Adultery is also used for spiritual adultery too. But the word we want to focus on is fornications. Notice it is plural in the Greek or the English because of the Greek, and that is our word pornos or pornea. So we get the word pornography. Here it's translated fornications, but that's King James. What we need to understand with the Greek word and the Lord Jesus Christ's use of it here. Remember the Lord Jesus, he's supposed to be our God and Savior. He's supposed to be speaking by the Holy Spirit, sent by the Father. So here we have the Trinity confirming that fornications are evil. They proceed forth from your heart and they will defile you. But we got to define what pornos is. Well, According to the Greek, just the Greek lexicon, it's illicit sex. Any sex that is illicit. So then if Jesus is using this typical Greek word from the Koine Greek to define illicit sex, what is the Lord's frame of reference? It's not a hard question. If the Lord Jesus Christ is preaching to the Jews, how does he define illicit sex? Oh, y'all are wearing me out. Law of Moses, that's all they have. Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh, but the Word made flesh in his day is not the New Testament. It's Genesis to Malachi, it's the Torah, the Pentateuch. So when the Lord Jesus says pornos, he's not thinking pornos in the Greek context, or I should say the Roman context or the Corinthian. He's thinking illicit sex in terms of the Bible. So we should probably go and see what the Old Testament has to say pornos is. Because Jesus is using an all-encompassing term, which the Jews recognize, because he's sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. All right, you follow this logic, because it's not heavy. It takes lunatic ministers to say something as moronic as, Jesus never addressed homosexuality. By that argument, we could say he never addressed bestiality. You're going to go have sex with your chihuahua? Nobody makes that argument. But we will eventually in this nation. It's coming. They already have cases in court setting precedents. I just want to know how you get your bull mastiff's consent. Let's take a look at a list of the Old Testament sins of sex, all right? So let's jump around. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 20. I'm just going to teach this morning because some of you still hang out on social media. So you're flying your flag in the winds of all this antichrist stuff. You don't realize how much it's affecting you. Everything took a, a quantum leap forward when social media put the world's way of thinking into every little small village, holler, hill, borough. And so we've honestly, honestly, almost completely lost regional culture in this nation because all of our young people want to be like the pagans in Hollywood. 
So now, used to, when you came to Cookville, our kids look different. They look country. Now, you go to our Walmart, you think you're at some kind of Walmart in Vegas. And Cirque du Soleil just let out. But these are kids born and raised here, but born and raised under 12 years of social media. So the freak show, whatever that means to you, apply it. The freak show that was bound to cities of corruption and destitution and perversion, they are social media influencers. And because our kids don't have parents, this is what they look up to. They're taught to disrespect teachers and taught to disrespect police and taught to disrespect good human beings. And they want to be like whoever's flossing on TikTok. I know it's an old dance. So out of date. <laughs> but it's a good way to humiliate your kids no matter where you are in public. I'm teaching uh, geology Tuesday at my kids' co-op. And my oldest is not excited about me being there. And I said, you're not? She said, no. I said, why not? And Abzi said, because she knows you're going to floss and then yell, Lydia is my child. <laughs> I said, Abigail, you know your father very well. It's exactly what I intend to do. We no longer have cultural or geographical cultures. It's all blending together through social media. Because our kids don't know who to look up to because they're not smart enough. Our children don't know what is good and praiseworthy. They know what makes them feel important, accepted, and that's what they pursue after. That's why, if you didn't know this, God gave children moms and dads, but parenting takes a lot of W-O-R-K, which our nation is also allergic to. So you're supposed to be bigger in life to them than the TikTok influencer. The problem is you allow them to be influenced by TikTok and social media and their weird friends that are on TikTok and influence. My daughter, when we just quit our last sport, one of the reasons she wanted to quit is because the 11-year-old and 13-year-old on her team were bisexual. Because they were allowed to have smartphones and had girlfriends. And I said, sweetie, why do you want to quit? She said, well, because my friends on my team don't like the right people. I said, well, who do they like? Well, you know, boyfriend and girlfriend? Yeah, they like girls. And they've said that they're bi. My girl doesn't even know fully what that means yet. That's in our region. This deep. And the church is just quiet because we don't want to be called homophobes or transphobes. And I'll tell you, I'm not afraid of any of it. I'm afraid of God. I fear God. And I happen to also know what demons look and smell like, have cast out homosexual spirits before. So it's not a psychology thing. It's a demon thing. Anyway, let's get back to the teachings of Christ. When he says pornos, he's thinking about the entire Old Testament, which he is because he is the word made flesh. Leviticus chapter 20. Let's talk about adultery first. We're just going to hop on these, each one quickly. Leviticus 20, verse 10. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So here's our first type of sexual sin. Adultery. Do you also see what the punishment is? 
death. This makes it one of the 27 sins of the Old Testament that are capital crimes. Now, we would say, thank God, we're not under the Old Covenant law of punishment because half the body of Christ in America would be put to death for being adulterers. Half of Christian television would be put to death. Thank God for grace. I don't think any of them ought to be in the ministry, but thank God for grace. But the death penalty shows us how God views adultery. And this is part of the Greek definition of pornos. So adultery carried a death sentence under the Old Testament. You would be stoned to death for doing it, both you and the woman or the man you slept with. So this is how the Lord begins to address pornos. All right. Exodus 22. Let's jump back there. Exodus 22, verse 19. Exodus 22, 19. Whosoever lieth with a beast shall surely be put to death. So that is bestiality. That is having sex with an animal. Something that does take place in our nation on a regular basis. I have worked with contractors who, how in the world the conversation around a drill rig descends to this. It was a drilled shaft rig, actually. We were installing a bridge foundation. He was from Kentucky, and he talked about growing up on the farm having sex with cows. This was tw- uh, 17 years ago. He was probably in his 60s, so he was probably having sex with cows 50 years prior, 45 years prior. So the point we're dealing with the 1960s and 70s. I think I was the only one in that conversation disgusted. Because I think some of the other guys could relate. The longer I pastored, the more I wonder how great this nation really was. For all the sexual perversion. Do you see the punishment for having sex with a dog or a cow? What's it right there in verse 19? Death. Death. Oh, so that helps us establish how God views sex with animals. And it isn't just men that have had sex with animals. Women have had sex with animals. Famous people in history. You're off the quiet this morning, but we're just building the doctrine of pornos. So, both of these sins, God views as worthy of death. Thank God for grace. How about Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 25. But if a man find a betrothed damsel in the field, and the man force her or rape her and lie with her, then that man only that lay with her shall die. Rape. Rape is part of pornos. Rape is part of pornos. Rape is illicit sex. And what is the punishment for rape? Execution. That may be one of the only ones progressives would agree with. I don't know, animal lovers, they may not appreciate death penalty for bestiality because some of those folks are so sick in their heart they view their animal as a family member. How much longer do you promote it from family member to lover? Which, of course, has happened throughout history. 
So our third sexual sin is rape, and it is punishable by death under the old covenant. Even in modern times, these kind of sins would ca uh, carry with them chemical castration. In England, up until about the 1950s or 60s, if you were homosexual, if you were convicted of buggery, as it's called in British English, you were chemically castrated. I have since, you know, renounced that. Next two, let's go to Leviticus chapter 20. I have to teach you this because, again, some of you young people, the, your folks your age will absolutely destroy our nation and usher in the Antichrist. Half of the Zoomer generation that even call themselves Christians don't see anything wrong with the alphabet acronym of LGBTQAI. I often wonder if bi's are exceptional, accepted, bisexuals, that, that says that there is a, there's only hetero or homo. They don't acknowledge a spectrum. So how are they allowed to hang out in the cool kids club? A bisexual acknowledges and, ex and exists only within a binary, but binary is wrong because now it's a gradient. So how do those guys, how are they not kicked out? And why are the lesbians so quiet about the trans men or trans women? Step back and they'll cannibalize themselves politically because they don't get along. But lumped together, if you don't bow down at the altar of LGBTQ+, I guess they have a streaming service now, I don't know <laughs> how you can succeed in life. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 20, verse 11. Actually, we'll start in verse 10. The man that commits adultery, we said this already, with another man's wife, he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Verse 11, and the man that lies with his father's wife hath uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. So there's incest, incest, incest. Incest is just as wicked in the eyes of God as rape, as bestiality, as adultery. Adultery is just as wicked in the eyes of God as bestiality. We, in our heart, tend to rank these. Adultery is not that bad. It's not like I'm having sex with a dog. Well, here's incest. You're having sex with your stepmom. Or maybe your mom. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. And if a man lie with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. I know of a situation in faith circles where a preacher's wife died, and within six months, he married his daughter-in-law, who had divorced her husband while he was overseas in Iraq. I know the situation. I know preachers involved trying to clean up the situation. And this happened within the last five or six years. No, I take it back. Eight or nine years. It's within the last 10 years. So to have sex with your daughter-in-law is worthy of execution. What kind of sick man begins to view his daughter as something worth having sex with? Something changes in your mind, and out of your heart proceed forth these defiling things. This is building the Lord's doctrine of pornos, by the way. That's why we're covering this. 
So for any Christian, any charismatic, any worship leader to say, well, you know, the Lord doesn't address uh, transgenderism or homosexuality in the Gospels, and neither should we, that person is an ignorant scholar of the Word. If a man shall lie with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have wrought confusion. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man also lie with mankind... So we have incest, now we have homosexuality. We have six sins altogether. If a man also lie with mankind as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. So here we have homosexuality dealt with. When a man has sex with a man like he would a woman or be intimate with a man as he would with a woman, uh, he used to be, both of them would be put to death. Same with a woman lying with a woman. They're both to be put to death. That's Old Testament law. Even me saying that statement would be considered hate speech in a lot of our Western countries now, and I could be in prison for that. What I just said could put me in court in Scotland, Ireland, UK, and Canada. For me to say homosexuals under the Old Testament were worthy of death, that's considered a statement of hate now. because it's not a loving statement. Here's the problem. You're in here in the presence of God. I didn't say anything hateful. I just said what God's word said. We didn't grieve God. Further confirms the world doesn't know what love really is. Neither do children. Neither do teenagers. I just love them. You don't know what love is, sweetie. You can't even clean your room up. I'd love for you to clean your room, but I'm not getting that either. (laughs) If you can't turn your homework in on time, you don't know how to love. It's a lot more responsibility than just feeling all good. Oh, she makes me feel all good. I'm going to make you feel horrible if you don't get in there and clean that room up. Verse 14, and if a man take a wife and her mother. So now we're talking about threesomes. And incest. It is wickedness. They shall be burnt with fire. So here we change the execution method. The others are stoned. Threesomes are burned with fire. Incestuous threesomes are burned with fire. So when the Lord Jesus says pornos, these are all the scriptures that have built his doctrine. And he summarizes it in one word. You defile yourself. You render yourself disgusting. You render yourself unworthy. You render yourself corrupt. You render yourself wicked. You render yourself vile. That's what the word defile means. And it all, according to Jesus Christ, started with how you thought. It all started with your thought life. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And you can have all sorts of weird thoughts, but as long as you cast them down and get the victory over it, they'll never steer your life. The problem is when we quit fighting the good fight of faith, casting down vain imaginations, which psychologists would call, call cognitive therapy. You just tell your mind to shut up. I refuse to think that. And you replace it with the scripture or tell you, no, I'm not going to think that way. For the Bible says, for the Bible says, for the Bible says, and I want to go with the God that made me. If you don't get a hold of your thoughts and begin to change the flavor of your heart, you will become what you think. I read a lot of testimonials of transgenders now because they're all over the news 
I think if Yahoo would be honest in their journalistic reporting, and to use the term journalism and Yahoo in the same sentence is quite <laughs> lame. If they would do one detransitioning story for every five transitioning stories, they might, we might have a different statistic in our culture today. Because transgenderism is very much a social contagion. It's what the cool kids are doing. Bisexuality is very much a social contagion. It's what the cool kids are doing. And because these folks are around folks of also like hurt soul and like impressionable soul, they begin to think on it, think on it, think on it, and experiment with it. The problem is at some point you experiment long enough and you'll become that thing. That's why we don't play games with vain imaginations. We don't play games with hate in our heart. We don't play games with lust in our heart. We don't play games with adultery in our heart. We don't play games with any of this vileness in our heart. We cast these thoughts down and we speak the word of God over our mind. It's cognitive therapy, but with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So you've got six sins there. Deuteronomy does talk about men dressing like women and women dressing like men, and it is an abomination. We have to be careful in how we define that because dress looks different all over the world. And so we know the heart of it is you pass yourself off as a man or a woman. Uh, I, my heart, to be honest, as a human being and as a pastor, my heart breaks for transgender people because once they go committed, if they should ever change their mind, and they do all the time, the media just refuses to cover the stories because it does not fit their narrative of being born this way. When they detransition, and you can Google their stories, there's a lot of them out there. If Google hasn't started uh, acting the fascist in that regard, you'll see the pain, the horror, the scars, double mastectomies that are not easily reversed. Uh, you know, when you neuter and uh, cut yourself off, and the term, the proper term escapes me, you don't get to really rebuild your man bits. You're forever without what God gave you. I hurt for these people. They're totally being pimped and used by leftist academic types. And leftist academic types aren't really academics anymore because they won't base their investigation or their research on legitimate science and legitimate information. It's all about the feels of the moment. I, I've quoted this book before. I grabbed it off of my library. This is a 19, what was it? When was it published? 1934. Sex and Culture. Not a thin read, as you can see. 640 pages, very small font published by Dr. J.D. Unwin of Oxford University and Cambridge University when those were still noteworthy universities. And I always like to read it. I've skimmed through it. I like, not heavily, but I'll stop and read a page. Originally published by Oxford Press in 1934, J.D. Unwin's conducted his landmark study of 86 civilizations through 5,000 years of history and found a positive correlation between the cultural achievement of a people and the sexual restraint they observe. The evidence is that human societies are free to choose either to display great energy or to enjoy sexual freedom. It appears they cannot do both for more than one generation. The whole of human history does not contain a single instance of a group becoming civilized unless it has been absolutely monogamous. 
nor is there any examples of a group retaining its culture after it has adopted less rigorous customs. That is the summation of a book that covers 85 civilizations, 85 cultures over 5,000 years of recorded history. What that says is fornicators destroy society. Fornicators destroy society. Fornication being any form of sexual perversion. Making out with your girlfriend. Adultery. Bestiality. Homosexuality. Transgenderism by extension is a form of homosexuality. Rape. These are sins that destroy culture because they bring a death-worthy curse upon a people. If God looks at these sins under the strict rigorousness of the Old Testament and says, that's worthy of execution, what makes us think we are free to experiment and play with it today? Amen. What it brings with it is the curse of God upon it. Uh, actually, go to uh, Revelation chapter 2. Let's look at something here. Let me be very clear. We do not hate or despise anybody in their sin. We want all people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But when fewer and fewer preaching voices and Christian voices are confronting sin, we have to stop and take time, use a little thing called a backbone and testicles, and declare the truth. <laughs> a lot of preachers have lost both. And when you, as a man, you lose your backbone and your testicles, you've lost your voice. So we have to, from time to time, just wash us again with the word of God and remind us what the word of God says. We don't hate transgender people. We don't hate homosexuals or lesbians. We don't hate rapists, though it might be easy to. We don't hate folks that have sex with farm animals, but that's pretty disgusting. We don't hate these people. We hate their sin because it's disgusting, vile, and egregious. But we do have to hate the sin. And if you don't hate the sin, you'll find yourself in political alliance with the sin. Much like our American conservative political parties are joining now. Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. Jesus Christ said, But I have a few things against you, because you have there at your church them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. What's the doctrine of Balaam? Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit pornos. The pastor of the church there at Pergamos is in trouble with Jesus Christ because the pastor of the church of Pergamos allows people in his church to promote any form of pornos or to support it, to teach it to brag upon it. Well, how can, how can we preach against them? My nephew's pornos. My niece is pornos. My little daughter, she shows signs that she's pornos. Disciple it. Pray against it. We know we're Pentecostals, right? We believe in casting things out. Yeah. We don't compromise a standard because something in our life is broken. We can only fix what's broken by adhering to the standard. This New Testament spirit-filled church is in trouble because somebody in that church was allowed to retain the doctrine of Balaam, Balaam which taught Balak how to curse God's people. If you can't curse God's people with a curse, teach them to sin and God will destroy them himself. Yeah. 
So you see the destruction comes upon idolatry and pornos. Balaam could never destroy Israel. Balak could never destroy Israel. But if you got Israel into idolatry and sexual sin, God himself would wipe them out. Because these sins carry the curse of God upon them. You can't be redeemed from that curse. All you can do is repent of the sin, and that delivers you from the destruction. All of these sins, I mean, you get into any kind of those sexual sins, something's going to kill you. You have sex with the horse, it's going to kick you. You rape the wrong person, child rape, some daddy's going to come in there and beat your head to nothing and bury you in a hole. And the sheriff's going to show up and say, well, thank you for saving us tens of thousands of taxpayers' dollars. We should give you the key to the city. You commit adultery. I had a family member whose best friend, I've told this story before, I have an uncle. His best friend, his wife ran out on him with the best friend. So another friend, you know. So it's one of these typical, my wife is sleeping with my best friend. So my uncle's buddy went over to the house of that man and shot him with a shotgun in the face. Killed him. Because adultery has a paycheck. You sleep with the wrong man's wife, you may end up dead. Homosexuality brings with it a lot of issues. We've all but cured AIDS, but it still doesn't affect prolapsed intestines and other STDs that come for any fornicator. It wasn't just homosexuals that got AIDS. Plenty of straight folks and druggies did too. Because sin is destructive. All sin is destructive. So you see that this sin of Balaam, this doctrine of Balaam, is to teach God's people to freely enjoy pornos, anything the Old Testament condemns sexually. But if you'll do that, if you'll participate in anything the Old Testament condemns sexually, the curse of God will be upon you. That's what this book here, secular book, this is what real academia looks like. This is what real research, Dr. Unwin a PhD in ethnology and social anthropology. I figure he's a smart guy. He's dead. He died in 1936. An English ethnologist and social anthropologist. This purview and survey of human history says that pornos ruins your society, your culture, your civilization, and your advancement. What a wonderful witness to what the scriptures say in about 10 verses. I don't know if he was a Christian, but he probably said, if I just imagine, I wonder if that Bible's true. He probably didn't say it like that being British. <laughs> he, he was from London, Kentucky. <laughs> or Rome, Georgia. <laughs> look at Numbers 25. We'll look at this kind of cross-reference here. Fornicators bring a curse upon themselves. Fornicators destroy society. Fornication is any sex God forbids. The only sex God ordains is within holy matrimony. One man, born a man. We have to define that now. One woman, born a woman. Joined together till death do them part. Then that sex, that's what God blesses. Anything apart from that profile, God does not bless. He curses. It's cursed in and of itself. It'll destroy your marriage when you have one one day. 
It'll destroy your body. Uh, you get too many STDs, women will become sterile, can't have babies. You can get some kind of disease that you've got to be on drugs for the rest of your life. You get viruses in your system. You don't kill viruses. You just suppress them. We don't want to fool with this stuff. Keep yourself clean. Your virginity is the greatest gift you can ever give to your spouse. And if you haven't saved your virginity for your husband or your wife, I don't condemn you, but it's going to be very painful one day to explain what you did and why. It has to happen. That conversation has to take place. We don't condemn you, but you need to be prepared for a very painful conversation. And I tell these stories so that young people who have not compromised their virginity won't hurt themselves. I will also tell you that when you have not saved your virginity for marriage, that will become a battle. One of you in your marriage will fight for the next several years of your marriage, overcoming the vain imaginations. Is she comparing me? Is he comparing me? Is she thinking about him? Is he thinking about her? This will haunt you for a season. It's the reality of it. We have to tell the pain of sin because sin has a paycheck. Come on. This is pretty basic, but we're just so free now. You know, TikTok told us to strip down and get influence. Somebody was telling me, you know how you get a bunch of followers on TikTok? Take a picture in front of a mountain in a bikini and you have 100,000 followers overnight. Yeah, and you're a whore. You just sold yourself. Everybody but your husband saw you in your underwear first. And you may like that because you're insecure, but God doesn't. Shouldn't surprise you that as a preacher, I tell you what God does and doesn't like. It shouldn't shock you that we're teaching traditional Christianity. Pro, uh, Numbers 25.1, and Israel abode in Shittim. That's the word for acacia tree. Apparently there's a big grove of them there. And the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. This one, if we just talk about fornication, this is Balaam's wisdom coming to pass. Remember, Balaam taught Balak, get Israel to have sex with your daughters and God himself will destroy them. So we're seeing that play out here in Numbers 25. And so the daughters of Balak, the daughters of the Moabites, they go in and begin to entrance and entice and seduce Israel's men. And Israel's men go in there. And first comes sex and, and uh, perverse relationships. And the next thing you know, you're believing like they believe. You're worshiping like they worship. And you go from being an Israelite who's lost their virginity to an Israelite worshiping demons. You can't go having sex with someone you're not married to and not get way more than you bargained for. This is why we also teach our young people, you don't make out. The Hebrew word to kiss means to kindle a fire. Now, there is a kissing permission for grandma. Because when you kiss grandma, there ain't no fire kindled there. There's a kissing permission for your aunt or your uncle or if you're European and you kiss on the cheek. There's no fire kindled there. Even Paul says, greet each other with a holy kiss. There's no fire kindled there. But you and I know what kind of kissing we're talking about when the Hebrew says it kindles a fire. Right? Do we need to have a sex ed 101 class here? We get it? We get it. All right. It kindles a fire. That fire is supposed to be suppressed through intercourse and orgasm in holy matrimony. And that is why making out when you're not married is also a sin. Let's just be clear on that. Making out with a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you're not married is a sin because according to Song of Solomon, 
uh, you are awakening love before the time. And the Bible says, do not awaken love before the time. And that's pretty much not love anyway. It's insecurity and lust. So then what can I do, Pastor? I'm so glad you asked. Because I once asked Pastor Vaughn that question. And he looked at me and said, what would you be comfortable doing with my wife on a date? Um, well, the thought of being on a date with her is uncomfortable right now. What would you be comfortable doing if I had you escort my wife somewhere? I might open the door for her. If she needed help, I might take her by the hand and help her up. Pretty pr profound wisdom to help our hyper-sexualized society. The church has always had to lean against culture around corners We've always had to tighten up and then relax and tighten up, trying to keep our people out of the world. There are seasons where you tighten up on things the Bible permits because the people have taken it to excess. And there's an ebb and a flow. And we're dealing with a culture that is number two export. Remember, we're the richest nation ever. And our number two contributor to the GDP, gross domestic product, is porn. I've heard missionaries talk about coming into America they say, they said, Pastor Chris, I have no sexual issues when I'm overseas on my mission field. I don't have lust issues. Soon as we land every time in America, all of a sudden it's all over me. It's a spirit. It's a spirit. So what can we do, Pastor? I like this girl. I like this boy. We're kind of seeing each other. What can we do? Well, I don't know. What would you like to do with me on a date? What would you like to do with my wife on a date? Kind of ruins it, doesn't it? If you bump my foot under the table, does that make your heart go pitter-pat? Because if so, there's something else we need to cast out of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I've had the honor of knowing lots of ministers around the world, and I like other cultures way better than ours. We're so secular. We're so independent. We're so private. We have no idea what it is to be a part of a body. We're so individualized. Uh, we don't understand a village mindset or a community mindset. And some of those get into gross excesses. But I do like the mindset of other places in Africa and in Eastern European countries where when a boy or a girl like each other in the church, because it's not permitted outside, then they get the elders involved. If the, if the, one of the girls, the boys from another church, they get those, that pastor and those elders involved because they probably met in the village. So you go to this church. Well, let's get that pastor, his elders, and his parents involved. And you go to this church. Let's get your parents and those elders and that pastor involved. And let's see if what we have here uh, is pleasing God and all of us will judge you. That's not what Disney spent 60 years teaching us. Disney taught us that our parents were retarded, don't know what they're doing even though they're the king. And I could rebel, and it'll all work out, and I'll still be worthy of the throne. Subtle rebellion. No, submission is about submission, and you'll always be submitted. So I would ask, why couldn't you submit them to the elders? Why can't you submit it to the pastor? Pastor Vaughn would say only rebellious teenagers sneak around. Yeah. And hold hands and make out and kindle fires they can't put out. 
And then I get to do the marriage counseling where we're trying to explain how many lovers we had in college and let you know, all right, we're going to be talking about this again for the next four or five years because we didn't beat this today. But if you listened to me 10 years ago, we wouldn't be here. There's a time when a pastor says, I told you so. All right, 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. Let's look at a few verses here. Let's just see what the New Testament says. Hopefully you're learning something. We'll wrap it up here in another minute or two, a couple minutes. And we'll look at two passages here in Corinthians, one in Timothy. Talk about a list of sins the Bible still condemns. It doesn't matter what your favorite worship leader says or your favorite woke pastor says. These are lists of sins. Somebody did ask, you know, if we had a transgender, would you call them by their birth name or their, would you honor their new name? Would you dead name them, which means you call them by their birth name, the name they don't want to go by? And would you dead gender them, which is a give, call them a he, she, or he, him when they identify as a she, shem? And my answer for that is, if we're dealing with someone who's a transgender or believes they're transgender, the least of the problems is their name. And the least of the problems is what pronoun they think they should be identified as. I don't really care about that. It doesn't matter. You want to call Betty? All right, Betty, you got a thicker beard than I do. Let's talk about the beard. All right, uh, Sally, you have a penis. Let's talk about why you think you're a she. I don't care what you want to be called. That's not the problem. There's still sins the Bible condemns. And if the Bible condemns them, we condemn the sins. Just to be clear, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 7. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to the law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, you do wrong and you defraud and that your brother. So he's talking about bad court cases. Verse 9. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now pause there, because Paul's train of thought is we're dealing with false lawsuits in the local church rather than letting a pastor or the elders resolve issues. He's dealing with lawsuits and brother suing brother, and he's calling it fraudulent. And in the midst of thinking about fraudulent, he goes into a list of other sins that he hates. So he starts off by beating the church up over their dumb lawsuits against each other. And then he goes on to say, hey, there's some other sins too. Be not deceived, neither fornicators. So he equates fornication with church fraud. Fornicator being, of course, pornos or pornea. He that engages in all sorts of illicit sex, bestiality, rape, incest, uh, threesomes. The whole list that we looked at in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. I have said for a long time, effeminate. If it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, waddles like a duck, it's a homosexual. The Bible condemns effeminate behavior. The Bible condemns effeminate behavior. I'm not saying I do, though I do. I'm saying this is what your Bible teaches you. Now, the Greek does have a double word. It also means a catamite. A catamite is a man who keeps a boy to have sex with. That's what a catamite is, C-A-T-A-M-I-T-E, catamite. 
The samurais were catamites. They often carried an armor boy with them, and not only would he cook and clean, he would also be the sex toy of the samurai. It's something all cultures have employed like slavery. But in that regard, a catamite is a sex slave. But effeminate, you have to understand in the homosexual community, homosexual men will marry a woman that is called his social beard to mask his homosexual proclivities. But the effeminate behavior is one that must also be gotten over. Amen. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind, that's King James, that is the word arsenokoites, which is homosexual. That is the term homosexual. I do find it interesting that the King James translators were so disgusted by the term, they refused to write it out. They made, it's one word in the Greek, but it's one, two, three, four, five, six words in the English to try to tactfully explain homosexuality. These are people that abuse themselves with one another, sexually. But he goes on nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. One of the takeaways from this passage is you want to sue your brother in the church, you're just like a homosexual. You want to take your brother to court for no reason that the elders can't even figure out for you, you're worse than an adulterer. You're just like them. You're effeminate. Because they're all sin. These shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So when that list tells you what lifestyles you partake of and partaking of them, you disqualify yourself in the kingdom of God. How can we say this is an extension of God and acceptable? We cannot say that. Now, here's the redemption Paul offers, and I love it. And such were, 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 not still are, and we applaud you and we see you. We're with you. Such were some of you. So even in Paul, that church in Corinth, he had former homosexuals, former effeminates, former fornicators, former idolaters, former drunkards, former revelers, former perverts. But they were. They weren't currently are. And there's the distinction. We welcome everybody because we're interested in getting everybody to be like Jesus so that we can say they were this, but now they are like Christ. That's the whole goal of the kingdom. All these anti-transitioning or um, what do they call them? Um, when you try to counsel and disciple people away from same-sex attraction and want a same-sex, uh, what is that called? Reparative therapy. A lot of laws now being pushed to make reparative therapy illegal, but the end game is to shut preachers up. Because what I preach is reparative therapy. Reparative therapy over your idolatry. Reparative therapy over your spoon addiction. Reparative therapy over your false ability to handle money. Reparative therapy over your same-sex attraction. What preachers preach is reparative therapy. We practice cognitive therapy. It's called discipleship. And if it's illegal to help somebody overcome unwanted same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria, then what they effectively do is silence the pulpit. Then we go underground. Then we become like our Chinese brothers. We become like our Arabian brothers and sisters and our Syrian brothers. We just go underground. Then we see the demons manifest and come out. And those that want the help really have to find it. Meanwhile, the surface church grows like a weed. Amen. Such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are 
sanctified, but you are justified. Notice it's a process and it's a lot of work in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, last passage, 1 Timothy. Let's go here and we'll wrap this up. Are you learning anything? I just want to wash you because I know the world is washing you another way. We don't side with family members against the Word of God. I don't care if your favorite cousin is a transgender something. We go with the Word of God. I don't care if your dad comes out as gay or your mom comes out as a man. Uh, we go with the Word of God. Amen. Amen. We side with the Bible. It doesn't change. People come and people go. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law... Remember, that's how we define pornos, by the law. We define pornos. When Jesus Christ said fornication, we define pornos by the law. Paul says the law is good if you know how to use it lawfully. The law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane. The word profane there uh, means not fit to attend public worship. Now, isn't that interesting that there are some people the Bible judges as unfit to come to public worship? I thought we were supposed to be inclusive and accepting. You're awfully quiet this morning. I'm just, I don't know what you got offended at or if you're just listening or is this all new doctrine to you? <laughs> so what you're saying is if I was born a boy, I should not have my stuff cut off. Yeah, I highly don't recommend that. Yeah, don't. No. And if I'm a woman, I shouldn't have a double mastectomy. I might regret that later. Yeah, pretty sure you will. This is a new doctrine. We'll take it slow. <laughs> For murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers. That's our word, pornos. Any, the, word, the law is for anybody that has weird sex. Do you know masturbating your girlfriend or your boyfriend is pornos? Allowing him to cop a feel is pornos? Just to be clear, kindling a fire before you're married is pornos. Because there's no say you're going to marry that person, so you're making out with somebody else's spouse. Remember, what would you be comfortable doing with me on a date? Ben? <laughs> there's a response. You are awake and listening. Or, not to put Ben on the spot, what would you be comfortable if I had you take my wife somewhere? Changes it all, doesn't he? Like, oh, Lord God, uh-huh. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Do you need anything, ma'am? Oh, he might be a good boyfriend after all. <laughs> Just ask yourself, how would you treat the pastor if you were a girl on a date with him? How would you treat pastor's wife if you were a guy on a date with her? Because, you know, Timothy does say you men treat the sisters, the, the women like sisters. And he says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. I think that's probably in an illicit, exciting sense. So here, here, here's how we judge this, because we'll get legalistic. If his touch makes your heart go pitter-pat, you have awakened a fire. 
So if his touch makes your heart go pitter-pat, you probably should not permit that touch. Not even hand-holding. Because you can hold hands with mama, your heart don't pitter-pat. I hold hands with my girls. My heart don't pitter-pat, neither does theirs. I go and see a lady in the hospital right now because she's fighting some stuff. I take her by the hand almost every time to pray for her. When I take her by the hand and I hold her hand, there is no heart pitter-patting. Because it's not about the touch. It's about this thing in our heart. So this is how we judge it. Does that touch, that footsie under the table, does it make your heart go pitter-pat? Because if it does and you're not married, you've got to be very careful because it does make you feel good and you are designed to be excited like that. But are you engaged? Are you going to be married? Has everybody said, hey, this is the will of God? Or are you just playing with your heart? Filling an emotional void. Because if you're filling an emotional void, it's not the will of God. Jesus Christ fills those voids. And you playing pitter-pat, however it comes for you, is depriving your walk with God. It's depleting it. Okay? I've taught on the heart for a long time. If I'm an expert on any doctrine, it's the heart. All right, let's finish this. For them that defile themselves with mankind, that's arsenicoitus, homosexuals, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and that there be anything, any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So we'll just summarize it. Homosexuality, pornos, anything that's sexual perversion is contrary to sound doctrine. Sexual interaction outside of marriage is contrary to sound doctrine. That's why we reject it. That's why we have to stay clean. One of the difficult things is we are created sexual creatures. Praise God for it. We are created with the sex drive, with hormones and the ability to have intercourse and have sexual intimacy. And it's wonderful and it's a God-given thing, but it's an appetite you must control within the constraints of God's Word. If you let that appetite out, it will burn your life to the ground and bring great sorrow and regret that you may take years to repair from. So it is a blessing when it's within the constraints of marriage. But it's also the number one way, other than demon worship, we saw in the Old Testament, idol worship, the number one way to bring demons and destruction to your life. Let sexual sin just run rampant. Let it run rampant and watch what it does to your life. That's why we have to constrain it. But I felt like we should teach on this because you, we, if you watch the news, Disney has basically... They're unabashedly saying, we're going to try to queer 50% of all of our characters. We're trying to get queerness into every uh, plot, every storyline. They don't care anything about uh, families, traditional families, American families. Somebody, some liberal even said DeSantis' law, the don't say gay law, is more Disney now than Disney because at least it wants to protect children from things that are way too advanced for an eight-year-old. This is all over the world. I I regret we're going to export this to the developing nations. We'll try to export it to Africa. We'll try to export it to Central and South America. We'll try to export it to Arabia. It won't go well there. But we'll try because we think we're better. Your job is to be a Christian and to be clean and holy. Can we all at least agree that the Bible is true and we acknowledge it, we call it true? Even if I've disrupted your little life? We want to be on the side of the Bible. Amen?
I know a lot of you have been delivered from pornography. You would admit it destroyed your soul. It was hard to break. Some of you have committed adultery. Some of you are on your second and third marriages because of adultery or your spouse committed adultery against you. It wrecks lives. Some of you have come out of homosexuality. It's destructive. Nobody ever wants to interview the former homosexual or the former lesbian because it doesn't fit the narrative the world wants right now. We don't want the overcoming stories because it shows people they don't have to live where they are. They can escape. So those stories get suppressed. So it's left to little people like us to just keep preaching the word, preach the word, preach the word. Tell folks you don't have to be a fornicator. You don't have to be a homosexual. You don't have to be a lesbian. You don't have to be transgender. You don't have to have sex with goats. You don't have to have sex with your sister. No, no, no. You can be clean. All right, do we need to go back and tease Ben again about dating me? You're awfully quiet and stuffy. Oh, communion, that will save us. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. Amen.